When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, makers. You're in your shop, you need some company, we're with you. My name's Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. Normally, I'm joined by the captain, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, and Mareko Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts. But this is holiday programming. Old school. I used to listen to the radio, and during the holidays, they'd have different programming. Well, that's what we're doing now, among other things. This past couple of weeks have been incredible, and I thought I'd kind of wrap it all up and do this by myself. I'm calling this one Knife Talk Single Track because there's only one track. There's only one of us. And the reason why is because we're kind of under construction as a podcast right now. So the way we normally do this podcast is Craig is in France, I'm here in New York, and Mareko is in Olympia, Washington. Craig kicks his family out of the kitchen, he puts a towel over his head, and he records the podcast by Skype calling Mareko and I. Mareko goes down to his basement, it's all creaky, and water's running, and people are upstairs walking around, and he comes in, and I drive my truck into my shop, move my anvils all around, try to keep it quiet, and we record the podcast as a Skype call, and we take all of our individual tracks, and we send the individual tracks to Craig. So what happens is, is Craig receives the tracks, and he's got to sync them all together. Well, now that he has all the tracks, he also has to listen in on the noises, the creaks, the farts, the water, the dogs barking. He's got to scrub the tracks. It's a production. It's a huge production. On top of all the uh, show prep we do, there's a ton of editing. So a few weeks ago, we've had problems. There's been problems where somebody craps out of the Skype call or something doesn't sound right or there's a noise and he's got to go through it all and he's got to edit it all. It's, it's, it's a production. So when we got to around episode 98, Craig started to think about, all right, well, 100's coming up, so we should do something nice. And then all of a sudden, his computer fried right before episode 100. So 98, he cobbled together. And then 99, he cobbled together. 
with just substandard stuff. We're all, it's all holding it together with like, you know, nonsense, bubblegum. It's all, it's all crazy. So we started to get ready to record episode 100. He sent out the, the bat signal to all of our friends, Josh Scott and Fingal Ferguson and Tomer uh, Botner and uh, who else? Jared Thatcher, Steve Pellegrino, Neil Kamamura. And they all recorded stuff for episode 100. Craig said, get yourself some buzzers because we're going to play a game. And then when we time to record episode 100, we got everything squared away. He's got everything right where it needed to be. And all of a sudden, within the first two minutes of the podcast, I see on the Skype, Craig is gone. He sends us a message and he says, my second computer, I can't, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I can't do it. Do it without me. And we, and Mark and I were like, we're not doing episode 100 without you. That ain't happening. So we held off. Didn't have an episode for one week. Craig left for Europe or for uh, uh, Wales. Couldn't do an episode for two weeks. We had two weeks. We couldn't do an episode. And Craig sent us a message saying, I will make sure we do episode 100 this week. We did episode 100 and we had a great time. It sounded great. It was tons of fun. We had a lot of laughs. And we got a lot of great messages. We had all these people chiming in. It was great. And then when it was all over a couple days, I got a lot of nice messages. Congratulations. Congratulations. All of a sudden, Craig sent us this. We were on a group message. And there's this long bubble. And it starts in from, it was from Craig. Craig said, I hate to drop a bombshell. Now, when you start a message with, I hate to drop a bombshell, it's not going to be good. It can't be good. It's terrible. He said, I'm having a real problem. um, And because it's the holiday season, I'm behind on a little bit of work. Knife talk is, I love doing it. Knife talk is taking, is the bottom of my priority list. And I don't know what to do because it's too much work right now. And it was a long thing, and blah, 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 blah. And as far as I was concerned, knife talk's done. We're not doing knife talk anymore. Let's turn to Hill and say, hey, Hill, podcast is over. Ah, we did 100 episodes. 100 episodes in the tank. You know, it's a good, good point to stop. Stop when it's good. It's no problem. It's like, you know, it's good. But it's sad. So I let it sink in, and I wrote, you know, I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to beg him to do it. And uh, we started messaging a little bit more, and he says, the truth to be told, there's too much with the editing. There's too much problems with uh, our sound, the microphones. I feel like I'm working on making this podcast sound mediocre when I should be focusing on making the podcast better. We should be focusing on the content as opposed to uh, worrying about whether the mics sound good or is he quiet, you know, are we getting good internet connection or we, or is it sounding correct? Are we, you know, if there's a little bit of lag, are we having like uh, chemistry problems? So he, it was just like these problems were completely had nothing to do with, he loved doing knife talk. We have a good time. We have a real good time doing it. It was all problems. So we all got together and we started thinking about what we could do. And the boys decided that they wanted to do a GoFundMe. And just for, Craig figured out exactly what we need to make the podcast better. Acoustic tiles. There's a machine that's going to allow Craig to take phone calls. 
There's going to be, you know, these things to get to the point where we can make the podcast better. That was one of the things about Knife Talk that was so great before Mareko and I showed up was Craig would interview people. And a lot of people sent us messages. Well, you should have me on or you should have this guy on. Or well, how come I can't get on or how come he can't get on? And it's always because of the technical issues. So the, the, the you got to have a computer and you got to have Skype and then you got to have this uh recording software and then the app for the recording software and it's got to be up to date and you know your computer doesn't handle it you got to be outside you got to be uh you know you got to be in a quiet place we want it to sound good and so it got to the point where we made the decision that it's just not it's not if it doesn't sound good we don't want to do it and that's really the problem the problem is is we shouldn't be hampered by the technical parts we should be trying to make the podcast better based on the content not because we want it to sound good but the problem is, is with podcasts, is they need to sound good. You need to be invested. And part of that investment is the fact that we need to sound like we're in the same room. We need to sound like the, the audio is good. And we want to start to take phone calls. So we did the, we did the, uh, the, the GoFundMe. And we, the last episode, we did a short one where we, the reason why we did a short one is because Craig's computer only had about 30 minutes before it was going to fuck off. So we had to say, he says, I can't do the This computer can't take more than half an hour. So let's just sell the GoFundMe. We'll see how it goes. And then, you know, fingers crossed, this turns into something where we can make the podcast better. So last episode, we did the podcast. We, we, we talked about the GoFundMe. Craig got it all squared away. As soon as he uh, uh, started, uh, as soon as this, that episode uh, was live, Craig pressed send. GoFundMe's live. He synchronized them perfectly. And I thought, all right, well, this is it. This is it. We're, you know, it's going to happen or we're, we're going to limp our way through or it's not going to happen. Who knows? Um, and boy, was I surprised. I, it was incredible. It was, I've never in my life would have thought that the, the GoFundMe would have done as well as it did because of you, the listener. The listeners came through. It was incredible. It was ridiculous. The first few, the first few hours, all of a sudden, people listening, they're starting to roll it in. We made this, you know, if you can't, we understand. You don't have, if you don't have the money, don't worry about it. Send support by, you know, posting about this GoFundMe or be, just being supportive. Is an, as far as I'm concerned, being supportive is good enough for me. I don't, that's all I want. It's nice. It feels good to know that we're that 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 we're doing something that you care about. So a couple hours pass, couple you know you know um, grand now, and then all of a sudden a little bit more later. Next thing you know, five, ten, fifteen pounds. All these you did it in pounds. Craig's in France. He did it in pounds. What, what am I going to tell you? And all of a sudden, I started getting messages from Craig. Have you seen what we're what the, what's going on? Have you seen the GoFundMe? I can't get over it. It was growing and growing and growing. And by the time halfway through, we halfway through the day, we'd already reached half our goal. By the time I went to sleep at night, at night, of course, where would I go to sleep in that day? It was already three quarters to the to the goal. Incredible. When I woke up the next morning, we had surpassed the goal. We'd surpassed the goal. That's insane. You people are unbelievable. I can't get over it. I started getting messages from Craig. I'm getting emotional. He's sitting in his bed with his sheets up to his chin. 
he's just getting emotional. You know, British, I guess they get emotional. What, am I gonna, what, what the hell do I know? I'm from New York. What, what, what do I know about emotional? He's, he's getting all emotional. Who knows what's happening in that house? He's crying. He's, his wife is condole, con, con, helping him out, making sure he's okay. What are you crying about? Ah, they gave me money. Ah, so, we, re- we reached the goal. We surpassed the goal. We had enough money to do what we needed to do and a little bit more money to get a couple extra things. And we decided we were originally going to keep it up for a week, but it's like we hit the goal. It's enough already. We got it. We went over the goal. We're going to be able to get the stuff we need to make these pod, this podcast sound better. I'm going to be building uh, my new studios, Lasso Studios. My, my college buddy, DLC, came through. He wants DLC. DLC, we have the Lasso Studios. I'm going to, I got this alcove. We're going to, I get it. Plywood's on the way. Acoustic tiles are on the way. We've got new microphones coming. We're going to be able to take phone calls. I'm super excited. And in the meantime, that's where we come to today. I'm saying thank you. Thank you so much. I can't believe how successful this went thanks to you. I'm grateful to you. I make, I look, I like to make dick jokes. I'm not, I honestly, 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 I'm not as interested in being helpful. I want to make, I want to tell dick jokes. That's all I want to do. I want to, I want to, I want to make Craig laugh. I want to tell dick jokes. But with that said, I'm thrilled and grateful that you guys are in the tank for us and we're in the tank for you. And that's where I'm doing right now. <clears throat> While we're in construction, because we haven't, the, you know, Craig's buying everything now. We needed to make sure that we had content. I want to make sure that we have content. So I'm doing Knife Talk single track. There's no editing, all live reads, no jingles. No cutting through. Craig, I'm going to finish this, send it to Craig. Craig puts, puts it on the podcast, and all of a sudden you have new, no frills. This is a no frills podcast. No guests, no editing. This is holiday programming. It's Black Friday right now. You're going to get this Cyber Monday. We're here for you. Knife Talk single track. And this is what we're going to do. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to do this one. We'll see what happens next week. I have an interview planned. I have a scheduled interview planned. And hopefully we can, if someone's coming to the shop, they're going to sit in this Jeep with me. And we'll, until we get the podcast rolling, I'm going to try to make sure we have content for you. With that said, let's go on with the show. I'm fired up. I thank you. And let's go on with Knife Talk Single Track. All right. So that's all squared away. The news is done. Let's get to the next segment. Let's see. What is on the calendar of events? I've got Mareko's calendar in front of me. I'm going to tell you what's going to go on. In the meantime, if you're, a, if you're interested in metalworking, or you're interested in blacksmithing and bladesmithing, all this stuff, get off the YouTube. Stop it with the YouTube. Invest your time and your energy in going to... I'm going to send... There's a couple schools that have new classes for 2020. The New England School of Metalwork has a new course curriculum throughout the year, you got unbelievable teachers. Unbelievable teachers. Besides the fact that they have the best staff in the world, Nick Rossi, you kidding me? Derek Glazer, you kidding me? You're going to have classes by Peter Brasmix. That's Fire Forge, one of the most innovative blacksmiths in the country. You got Tim Poitier. I think that's how you say his name. Matt Parkinson. 
You got uh, all sorts of incredible high-level guys. The Center for Mental Arts also has a new uh, course curriculum. Go down to Johnstown, PA and take a class from Nick Anger. Or take a class from Pat Quinn. Or whatever. They're going to have piles of awesome classes. Go to Doghouse Forge. He, they, Jonathan Porter's got clinics too. He's got some clinics down in Florida. I'm actually going to be teaching a couple classes, and there are a couple spots left. Ben Snoor is going to take teach hammer-making classes. This is incredible, and I'm telling you why. Here's, and you, here's what you're going to say to me. Well, you know, listen. All these places are great, but it costs money. I got to fly, or I got to get a hotel, and it's not a cheap, and blah, 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 blah. Here's, what I'm, here's my heart. This is a different, I'm going to give you a different style. Not to mention all these places are great, but think about it. You're in bed, you're watching your YouTube videos, you're, you're, the person that you love is next to you saying, what the fuck is this person, why are they doing this? Why are they, what are they doing? And you, you say, hey, you, you're, you're the person next to you says, come on, you know, what are you doing? Says, I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm watching Alex Steele. I'm watching Alex Steele YouTube videos. I'm watching Jeremy from Simple Little Life. I'm trying to learn something here. And then you're, the person next to you is saying, well, you know, it'd be nice if you you know, grabbed up on me or something. I mean, come on, what are we doing? So this is what I'm telling you. Go to these classes, invest your time and energy, and learn from these guys. So, all right, it's a weekend. All right, it's a couple of days. But you get home, and then you're not on the YouTube in your bed watching YouTube videos. You can, you can get busy with the person that you love who's lying there next to you. That's a value. The person that you're next to is going to say, you know what? Things are good. I'm not going to get too graphic, but if you're putting, it, they're putting their hands on me, that's what I want. I want you to put your hands on me. I want you to, let's, let's, let's stop with the YouTube and let's get going. Invest in the school. Invest in your relationship. That's what I have to say. All right, what else is going on in the news? Well, it's December. So as far as the calendar of events in December... Let's start with December 7th. December 7th is also Pearl Harbor Day. The Oregon Knife Collectors Association mini show is in Eugene, Oregon. Go check that out. And if you're in Milano, go to the Corprisano Italiano Cantolinini CIC show. Eh, Cazzanfaccio. That's going to happen. Milano, get yourself, get yourself squared away over there. Have yourself a little Italian. Let's see if I can say I'm not even going to say it again. Oh, well, it's on, on Sunday, too. On, son, on Sunday, there's the Prague Knife Exhibition in Prague, Czech, in the Czech Republic. Just to let you know, Czech Republic's high-level blacksmithing. If you really want to get your blacksmithing squared away, those guys know what they're talking about. Freddie Haberman's down there. That was Freddie Haberman's territory. Czech Republic, big time for blacksmithing. So if you're in the Prague area, go check that out. And then on September, uh, December 8th also, it's still, still in Milano, Milano, Corpresoni Italiano, Colcio Argentini, the CIC show, Cazzo and Faccio. There you go. There's some good stuff going on. All right. Well, with that said, let's get on to our next segment. I mean, what are we doing here? This is Knife Talk, single track, just me. Can't believe it. So let's start with, hey, man, can I ask you a question? Uh, all right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Well, with that said, where do you get your abrasive belts? I'll tell you where you should go to combat abrasives. 
Get your belts and supplies there. When you put in Knife Talk 15, you'll get 15% off. And I, if I were you and you're getting that 15% off, try something new. Get some of their shredder belts. Their shredder belts are awesome. Or get some of their Scotch-Brite belts. Scotch-Brite belts are good price. With 15% off, it's even better. Fool around. Get something new. Definitely go to Combat Abrasives. Get your 15% off with Knife Talk 15. Tag us in your stories and let, let us know how they work for you. Combat Abrasives. All right. First question comes from Bohemian Craftsman. Hey, Jeff. Hope all is good. I was wondering how you spin your lanyard tubes down so nicely. Okay. So on my kind of outdoorsy knives, I have, I started doing those lanyard tubes. I started making holes for lanyards. I started doing that because I was told that hunters like to have a lanyard because when they're getting into all the guts and their hands get all slippery with all that blood, you don't want you want to have your lanyard around your wrists as you if you all get all slippery and it slips into that carcass you're going to be elbow deep in the elbow deep in an animal you don't want that don't be elbow deep in an animal how about on a lanyard so I, I did some lanyard holes and I didn't really like the way they looked and I wanted to have something a little bit more nice and then I I tried to stuff in a a piece of tubing and grind them flat I didn't like the way that looked so I tried to figure out a way to make something to really have be a nice connection but also i like the rounded parts of the lanyard tube so what i did was i got some super super thin uh brass tubing super thin brass tubing and i actually used um a 5 drill and i drilled the steel before i heat treated it 5 16ths. i got 5 16ths thin wall brass lanyard tubes so then I would, the lanyard tube goes in before, after everything, after everything. Don't glue up with the lanyard tube in. What you're going to do is, you, I, what I do is, I put my scales on, put them on with Corby bolts, let the epoxy cure, carve the knife, sand the knife, cut the, you know, obviously cut the Corby's flush, finish the knife, grind it, sand it, buff it, finish the knife, right? No lanyard tube is in yet. Getting it finished, finished. For this reason, the way I do my lanyard tubes is, so the knife is finished. Everything except for the lanyard tube is done. This thing, if it wasn't for the lanyard tube, you could send this off, the knife is ready to go. So then what I do is I get the tubes long. I actually have a hardware store that sells thin brass tubing. And what I do is I actually put it into my drill gun and I actually drive it in. It's a tight fit. You're drilling it slowly. If sometimes if it's too thick, you take a little bit of sandpaper and you got your, you got your tubing in your drill. You can use the sandpaper, almost the drill, almost like a little handheld lathe. And you can actually, you can actually thin it down with a piece of sandpaper. You can take it a little bit off. Then you drive, you drive the tube through the hole, baby. And then, what you want is you want there to be an eighth of an inch past, eighth of an inch, three sixteenths of an inch past the outs, the through the through the. So you go through the knife, and then you go a little bit more, like three sixteenths. Then you cut it off. Now you have a knife with tubing sticking out both sides, right? So then what I do is I even them out to about a little bit over a hair over an eighth on each side. Then all right, so I got the knife. I'm looking at I'm looking at it. There's a hair of tubing on both sides, like an eighth of an inch on both sides. So then what I do is 
I'll clean out, I'll clean the edges so there's nothing sharp. And then I'll take an awl, which is like a or like a you know a Phillips screwdriver, small something small and thin, and then I just wallow them out. So this is the reason why you need thin walled uh, brass, because if you use thick wall brass, it doesn't want to move easily. So the thin wall brass will move. I'm rolling around and I'm starting to open up the sides, so they're starting to flare. They're starting to flare. And then what I do is I have an old center punch that I rounded. Like a rounded, it's all, you know, like a, like a, it's a rounded center punch. Let's not fool around. I, yeah, this is all me, no editing. I can't, I can't go back and forth. So you understand what I'm saying. A rounding, I make a rounded center punch and I stuck it in my vise. It's facing up. So the rounded end is facing up. Then I'll put one end of the tubing against the top of the rounded center punch. And then I'll have two hammers. One is a, a ball peen hammer. And one is a plastic rubber, a plastic side, rubber side hammer, right? So first thing I'll do is I'll take the knife and I'll put it down. So the flare, one of the flared ends is on the center punch. Then I'll take the ball peen side of the small ball peen hammer, not a big lumper. Don't bring in a big lumper. You know that little bullshit one that you have that you don't really need? This is the time for that. Bring that one out. So with the ball peen side, just start to knock. Just start to knock things over so the flare starts to go over past 90 degrees and it starts to flare over, but not all the way. What's going to happen is you just want that small um, ball peen end to kind of encourage everything to kind of go over the sides and then both sides. So a little bit on one side, a little bit on the other side, slowly, slowly start to make sure that they're, they're going past 90 degrees. So the flared outside edge is going past 90 degrees. Now. Grab your plastic or rubber mallet, put it, put your knife back on that center punch, the round center punch, and then use the rubber mallet to finish off, finishing off, driving the sides over and they mushroom over and then they also, they have a nice finish. The reason why you use the rubber mallet or the plastic side hammer is because it's going to give you force and it's not going to give you dings. Like a thin, a small rubber mallet. So it's going to roll everything over. And it's not going to leave you with any ding marks. And then once you go over, 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 go past both sides the same, you're going to have a nice finish. And then what, if you hit it on the buffer, you've already buffed everything else out. Everything's done. Then you hit it on the buffer you're, and you're in good shape. It's, it's perfect. It's a great finish. And one of the reasons why I like it is because if you have any weirdness, like if something happens and maybe your holes in your steel's weird and maybe something shifted and then when you drill through where the lanyard tube is before you put the lanyard tube in sometimes there's a little bit of weirdness when you flare oh and roll over the lanyard tube it'll cover a little bit of problems if you got a little bit of problems here and there you will not find a gap because the rolling over of the lanyard tube will kind of cover any problems and it'll give you a great finish and it looks great. And when you have the lanyard tubes in, it's not, there's nothing in there that's going to cut your, there's not going to fray your lanyard. So there we have it. There's your answer for that. Whoa, that was a long one. Now it would be the time where somebody, Craig would say something and I could take a breath, but obviously we're not there. This is knife talk, single track. I got to keep the ball rolling. All right. Hey man, can I ask you a question? This comes from Howling Wolf Forge. Hey man, can I ask you a question? What do you do if you ever lose motivation? Or have you ever lost motivation? 
This is a great question. And the reason why it's a great question is because it happens a lot to everybody. A lot of people are in this as a hobby. They have a job and they're doing this for fun. And there are people who are transitioning. You know what? I make a pretty good knife. Why don't I try to sell them? You sell them here and there. Next thing you know, maybe I should quit my job and start in again. When you get to the point where you're thinking about losing motivation, you ha- there's a couple things. I have totally lost motivation. And I'm now, I don't know, I'm in, I'm in my, I'm, in, I'm, I'm rounding the mids of my 40s. So I understand the idea of trying, of how we can make this work. And for me personally, in regards to losing motivation, I have to be super, super focused on not only what I'm doing every day, but every week and every month. I have to set goals. And there's no time for fooling around. When I walk in the shop, the meter's running. And I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm not going, maybe I should work on this, or maybe I should work on that. I know exactly what I'm doing. It's the only way I can do this business. Because otherwise... I, I, I'll flail. I'll start to, I'm looking at hammer blanks. I want to make a hammer or I want to make this or I want to make that. Or I never made a Bowie knife before, or I never made a, you know, whatever. Maybe I could do this or, you know, my ovens, my even heat LB 18, I could fit in a little short sword. Maybe I should do that. No, today's heat treating day or today is, you know, hand sanding day or today's grinding day. If you give yourself a very set schedule, you're not going to find yourself losing motivation, but you have to set it for the week. I know I have to get a certain amount of work done to get to the point where I can afford something or to make this thing work. And the other thing is, for me, I have no plan B. This is it. And I'm not saying it like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's this or I have to go back into a metal shop and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this succeed. And part of that is, being organized to the point where I can keep the ball rolling. So important. You have to have a schedule. I, before I, when I wake up in the morning, I walk my dogs or do something and I, and I have like a, it's not meditation. It's not meditation. It's me saying to myself, all right, before lunch, I'm going to have these things glued up. And then after lunch, I'm going to work on something else. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to start to take the ones that are glued up and I'm going to start carving them. By the end of the day, this is going to be done. 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 There's no deviation. And what happens is, is you, you end up finding yourself satisfied with the fact that you're disciplined enough to be organized and to complete the tasks that you want and you feel better about yourself. So in regards to motivation, motivation is tough. You have to have a goal and you have to see it through. And you have to do things. A lot of you guys want to make what you want to make. And if it's not fun, you don't want to do it. But if you have a job where you can afford to be that way, fine. But if you get to the point where you're like, it's this or nothing. I I don't want to go back to my job. I want to do this. You have to be focused so you can do it and make it work. There's no other way. All right. That was a good one. All right. This one comes from Knife Making 101. Hey, fellas. I listen to your podcast religiously. I'm a new knife maker. My question is, do you ever consider bevel jigs as cheating or do you use them yourself? Love from the deserts of Saudi. Knife Making 101. I 
I got to tell you, we hear a lot about, oh, that's cheating. That's cheating. I had a guy come in here a long time ago who was looking for a job. He actually saw that I had, uh, I had a board that I used to uh, pre-grind my knives on my grinder. I'd set up the work rest, and I had a board, and then I had, a, I had notches in it, and I would clamp the knife to the board, and then I'd set my platen to the angle where I could do that. And he'd say, oh, you're using a board? That's cheating. I said, fuck you, get out. You're not, guess what? Guess who didn't get the job? Guess who didn't get the job, shithead? Don't tell me it's cheat. Here's what cheating Here's what cheating is. There's this whole concept of like, oh, that's cheating, or that's cheating. Are you doing this as cheating? Listen, numb nuts. Stop it. That's what kids say. Oh, he cheated. He cheated. This is what cheating is. If you're running in a race, and someone gets off the race course and hops in a cab and ends up at the finish line to be number one, that's cheating. If you're in business and you're trying to work smarter and more efficiently and you're trying to cut corners to make yourself, your product more efficient in your time, that's not cheating. That's being smart. Lying is a lot different from cheating. I don't even know. I, I hate it when people say that's cheating because you know why? What they're saying to you is, I wish I was doing what you're doing. You're cheating because you're doing, you're, you're getting to the end point in a smarter way than I am. That's it. Stop it with the cheating. If you want to use a jig, use a jig. Who cares? What, what, so, so, oh, you're using tools. That's cheating. You should be, you should be grinding your knives with your, with your, your fingernails. You should be scratching away for years and years. To create your bevel with your just your fingernails and your and your inner fortitude. Ah, fuck off. If you want to use a bevel jig, use a bevel jig. If you want to use a grinder, use a grinder. If you only have a file, then use a file. Stop it with the cheating. It's more important that you're not lying. Don't say you're forging your knife when you're not forging your knife. That's a different story. And it has to do with what you're planning on putting out in the world. Doesn't don't worry about. Don't worry about bevel jig. Stop it. Stop the madness. But I'm with you, Knife Making 101. Greetings from freezing New York. All right. Next question is from Rough Cut Knives. What is the one challenge or skill you have, you have set for yourself that you have not mastered? I've mastered nothing. I've mastered zero. I, I don't believe in... People throw around words like master all the time. I've talked to master bladesmiths who say, I'm still learning. I know, this is bullshit. I, I understand. I know a certain amount. I know, I, know, I know a lot, but I'm still learning. I saw Aaron Wilburn. He told me he got real into, into after he got his master, master, uh, master bladesmith certification, he said, I'm really into engraving. I'm really new at it, and I love it, but I'm a student. Stop it with it. Don't worry about the mastery. I'll tell you one thing I have gotten bad at is welding. I haven't been welding a lot. And I used to be a, a passable welder. And I haven't done a lot welding lately. And I welded something up and I was like, well, that doesn't look so great. Or my feed's right. I don't have that. You know, you, I, you need a little practice. So my opinion is, is I want to get, I want to get back into welding. I want to be a better TIG welder. I never really learned how to do uh, aluminum, welding aluminum, which is like totally crazy to me. Um, I'm trying and I'm working on some Damascus in my shop, which I'm enjoying. I wouldn't say I'm ever going to master it. I don't think I'm, I'm going to be a master of anything. I cooked a good turkey last night, but I still, I mean, I've been making turkeys for my, for Thanksgiving. 
for my whole life. I must have cooked. I must have cooked at least in my life. I've easily cooked over 25 turkeys. I still looked at a recipe. I still looked at a recipe. I'm in charge. My family, my family can't cook. So I'm, I, I, I'm in charge of turkey. You'd think I'd know how to do it. You'd think I'd know. All right. You're a 20 pound turkey. You're a 350 for 350 for four and a half hours. Baste it. Put a little bit. I had to look at a recipe. I'm a master. I'm not going to be a master of anything. Student for life. Hashtag student for life. All right. This next one comes from Ronald Knives. I love a good mustard patina. I do, it, I do quite a few, but I don't understand the guys that say that it's cheating. Another cheating question. I've had people tell me it's, I'm trying to pretend the blades are Damascus because there's a pattern in the forced patina and I don't really get it. Listen. I understand. <clears throat> a few years ago, I'd never known about mustard patina. And a friend of mine bought one of my knives. I sent it down to him. He sent me a picture. It was covered in mustard. He said, hey, look what I did to your knife. I'm like, what the hell happened? What, what the fuck is that? What did you do to my knife? Why is it covered in mustard? What the hell's going on? And I, and I learned about it. And I realized that it's this way that some people can create patterns. And, you know, well, for, in the beginning, I was like, ah, this isn't for me. And then the more I started to see mustard patinas and the more I started to talk to people, I learned about mustard. I learned how to, the first application of mustard patina, I learned from uh, Jared Thatcher, Boot Hill Blades, Kentucky Stooge. Shout out to Kentucky Stooge. He showed me how to do it. And then when I was in Barcelona, I watched how Tomer Botner does it. We talked about it a lot. And we've actually talked about it on this podcast. There's a couple things about the mustard patina. And I know I have friends. Trust me, Jonathan Porter told, says to me, he's like, mustard, mustard's for hot dogs. I understand. I understand. And after <clears throat> doing it a couple times, and talking to people and seeing other people do it, I started to realize, and I had one. I had a knife. Uh, I did a mustard patina on from uh, Tomer. I built one of my, um, one of a, um, a Florentine kitchen knife, and I gave it the mustard patina, and I used it. Here's what I noticed. The mustard patina, which works on carbon steel, does not work on stainless steel. It, what you're doing is, is you have mustard, which is food safe, ah, and you take a, a, some sort of applicator, like a piece of sponge or a piece of Scotch-Brite or different types of materials will give you different patterns. You put the mustard on the, the sponge and you dab it. First things first is you wash it with soap and water, get it nice and clean. And then you dab it with the mustard. And what happens is, is the vinegar or the acid in the mustard will patina the steel. So if you use a sponge and you just dab it, all even, you get these little peaks and you get these valleys. Some parts come off, some parts don't come off. If you do it evenly, leave it on for a couple minutes. Some people leave it on for an hour. Some people leave it on for five minutes. You let it dry. Give it a little bit of time for the acid to work. You will wash it off with soap and water. Next thing you know, you have this nice pattern. And then after that, you can do it again. And then you have this kind of like a pattern on top of a pattern, which gives it a little bit more richness. If you do it a couple times, two times, three times, same thing. If different, you're creating this kind of like spongy texture or a pat, what a different, different patterns. I know that uh, Noah Vashon used uh, a straw. He did a beautiful, I know he, he did a beautiful pattern just using a straw and just like, dabbing it with the straw, the mustard on the end of the straw, and he has these little semicircles, and you do a couple passes, and it looks great. 
Here's what I think about the mustard patina. And this goes back to the cheating, goes back to all that. You're creating a scaffolding for the patina to develop. You're starting it off scratch. If you send off a, 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 a carbon steel knife to someone, especially someone who doesn't know about knives and carbon steel, I, ha- I get very, I question my, 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 my customers and I, are you, do you understand what carbon steel, you know what it's going to do? What I'll do is I'll suggest, well, if you do a mustard patina, you are starting the scaffolding for um, a, pat- a nice patina to develop. Because if you give a raw knife and you start cutting, you're going to have the patina in that one spot where you're cutting. Let's just say you're, all you're cutting is a, you know, shallots and you're only getting you know, an inch of patina. If you do a mustard patina and you give someone a mustard patina, you're, the, mustard, the patina is going to protect the knife a little bit, but you're also going to um, get a scaffolding. It's basically it's a little bit of a starter. It's a starter. I like to call it a scaffolding for a patina. And that's good enough for me. In regards to cheating, if you're lying, back to lying, it, it, we, we, cheating and cheating is for kids. If you're lying, that's not good. If you're telling people it's Damascus and it's a fucking mustard patina, you're a piece of garbage. Okay? So let's just, let's stop it with the cheating. Che- kids say cheating. Oh, he's cheating. He used his hands. Your soccer. He, he's cheating. He used his, you know, he used his butt. He played soccer with his butt. That's cheating. Or he used his elbow. That's cheating. Fuck off. That's for kids. That's for kids. Cheating is for kids. He cheated. That's for kids. Lying is different. I forged this Damascus knife and it's a, and it's a goddamn stock removal knife covered in mustard. You're a cheater. You're not a cheater. You're a liar. That's worse. All right, <clears throat> there we go. So stop it with the cheating. Don't worry. Don't worry so much. And you can only do what you can do. If you don't have a forge, you don't know how to make Damascus, and you want to make a knife, and you want it to look good, and you want to use the mustard patina, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. But if you're lying, <clears throat> you deserve all the fritz people give you. If you're cheating, eh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about those people with that. All right. The next one comes from Uplandish. Question, what's the most dangerous jig or fixture you have made and why are you still using it? I've thought about this for a little bit and I don't have any jigs or fixtures that are dangerous. What I have that's dangerous that was made is my fucking tire hammer. This thing was made and I am afraid of it. I'm afraid of it because it was made by someone and it's dangerous as it is. But I had to do some of the, I had to do a little bit of extra welding on it. That's what makes me nervous. So I am actually, uh, this year, I'm going to build a cage around the arms just in case. I know that some people have had problems if you have a spring on your power hammer that holds the arms together, that can pop out. And if that pops out, you are in fucked city. That's a bad, that's a bad apple to eat. So what I'm going to actually do is I'm going to make some, now that I'm getting older, now that I'm getting older, I'm trying to be a little bit safer. So I'm actually going to build a cage around the arm fixtures just in case, just in case, because I'm, I'm anxious. So that's the most dangerous thing I have in the shop. Um, even if it wasn't just a tire hammer, even if it was an An Yang, even if it was a power hammer, it was still the most dangerous thing in the shop. All these tools, you got to be, every single tool, you got to be super careful with. The right angle grinder. You got to be super careful with these things all 
can give you such trouble, it's not worth having. It's not worth, ah, it's worth having. It's not worth, it's not worth hurting yourself. So that's the answer for that. Next question comes from Laramie Jackson. It's starting to cool down. How do you deal with the cold in your shop during the winter? A little space heater, run the forge, put on an extra layer, or just deal with it? Well, Laramie, it's cold as, it's, it's freezing. My balls are up in my stomach. It's so cold. My nipples could cut through this goddamn sweatshirt. I'm so cold. I wear layers. I am a big fan of layers. I usually, in the wintertime, I always have a pair of uh, long johns on. I also, uh, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a plug. Hey, Patagonia, I wear your capoline all the time. I usually have uh, a t-shirt and then I'll wear a capoline under layer. And then they have these capoline sometimes with a hood inside. I wear those. And then I'll wear another shirt over that, and then I'll wear a sweatshirt. I also have an oil heater that I uh, filled up two years ago, and I didn't. The first year, I realized I didn't use any of it because I was being cheap. And then last year, I let that fucker go. I burned some oil last year, and I thought I didn't spend anything last year. I'm gonna just run it. I'm gonna run it. I'm gonna keep the shop warm. So last year, I kept the shop warm, and then. Around September, I looked at the oil tank level, and I'm like, oh my god, I used three quarters of a tank of oil. Hey, you stupid son of a bitch. I, it was like, that was a real, that was a bad, it was, I was just like, all right, well, let's see how long it can go. As long as the pipes don't freeze, I'm good. So I'm going to try to jostle my way through the rest of 2019 into 2020 on the little bit of quarter tank of oil. I have... Um, I don't think the... For, I don't think... If you're forging, if you're, if you're, if you're blacksmithing, or bladesmithing, you you warm yourself up naturally. But uh, in regards to uh, keeping the shop warm, if you're moving, I like to move around a little bit. I used to be in a shop where I started to get hypothermia because I we didn't have any heat and I was moving around. All of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm like, oh man, that's cold. The ice buckets are freezing. And I'm like, I'm working, I'm moving around. I can handle this. I had gloves on. It was a, it was a, and, uh, it was the same shop we almost killed Darren Fisher in from a couple episodes ago. And all of a sudden, I started to notice, man, I'm getting sleepy. I'm not getting tired. I'm getting sleepy. My legs are a little numb. I was covered. I had like long johns on and pants on and capoline and layers and sweatshirts and stuff. And I started to think, oh, man, why am I getting sleepy? Not tired, sleepy. Well, I said, maybe, maybe I should get out of here. The water buckets froze. Turns out I was getting close to hypothermia. I was starting to freeze to death. So I left and I, I, I took a hot shower. I defrosted. I was like, all right, well, maybe I should live a little. So I don't get to the point where I'm falling asleep and freezing in, the, in cold, but I have been known to do that. So I try to move around. I get a little space here. Sometimes I'll run this uh, oil tank. I will see. I'm not going to, I'm trying to try not to be so cheap as it gets colder. Okay, last question is from Tate Hugo. As a beginning knife maker, now starting to forge integrals, my hands are weeping, a weeping, blistered mess. I've tried different gloves to no avail. Any grooming tips for soft-handed people learning to swing a two-and-a-half-pound hammer? This happens a lot, and there's a couple factors. One is you have to develop your callus so the calluses in your hand, you develop your calluses in your hand. And if you go away for a little bit and you don't use it for a while, 
if you're swinging a lot, you're going to you're going to get more blisters. Repetition, use your handle. You know, sometimes sometimes I I I make my handles. Uh, I make them um, very smooth because I don't want to have and I have there. I want to make sure I have good grip. And then I put wax on them just to keep myself a little grip. I don't use gloves. I hate wearing gloves. I hate wearing gloves when I'm forging. I feel like I, I don't feel as connected to the hammer. Um, usually if I'm doing something like if I'm with the Modern Forge boys, I know I'm going to forge in the next week or two. Every day I'll, I'll forge for a while to just kind of get my hand used to it because I do get blisters if I don't forge for a while. I'm not forging every day. Back to, you know, I don't get to forge every day because I have, you know, other things to do. I wish I could, but it's just not in the way. Um, so what I would suggest is you have to, you know, it's like running. You have to kind of build up your immune, your, uh, your, mo your, your inner fortitude and your, and you got to get your hands tougher. But if you start to get blisters, there is one product that I love that is great. And I'm going to, this is, they're not sponsors of the podcast, but if, if you go to most hard, um, hardware stores, if you go to most drug stores in the United States, you'll find it's from 3M. It's this, I don't know what it's called, but it's this thick uh, beige tape. And it's got a lot of, um, it's got thickness to it. If you put on a Band-Aid on your blister and then you wrap yourself with that uh, beige thick tape, it's like a thick tape, beige. It's incredible how well it kind of like protects your blisters. So like I've actually used it uh, after I've gotten some blister, uh, some um, some blisters, and it protects my hands. So this 3M tape is really good if you have blisters. I learned about it when I used to work at the Center for Mental Arts, and uh, we'd have people. You know, if you, this is your first time taking a class, you're going to get blisters. So it's it's just you got to do it all the time. Otherwise, you know, otherwise you know your skin, your hand skin is not 100% prepared for you know forging all the time. Same thing if you're shoveling shit. You know, if you're shoveling all the time, all of a sudden you get, my wife was raking the leaves. All of a sudden she had a big old blister on her hand. Well, you know, she shouldn't rake that much. So she, you get it. You gotta, you have to do it all the time or, or, uh, a little bit every day. Get yourself hand, get your hand calluses squared away in there. Yeah. Just, you know, just do it. Just do it and you live a little and realize those blisters are the marks of working hard and success. You're not a fat ass sitting on the couch. Okay. There we go. So that's the answer to that. So, one of the things I started to say uh, in a couple episodes ago is around Christmas time, we did a show called The All Beef Review, and it was really funny last year. If you go back to last year, we basically listened to listener beefs. We beef all the time. We talk a lot. I'm not beefing to this, the, the next couple of days. I'm just too grateful to you as the listener for helping this podcast go. I got nothing to complain about. And it's Thanksgiving, so for me to bitch, it's a little bit ridiculous. It's ridiculous anyway. Cr ridiculous anyway. So I thought I'd read off some of your listener beefs. So these are listener beefs submitted to you guys. Um, if you want to submit more beefs for the All Beef Review, if I don't run the All Beef Review, maybe we'll get Craig and Mareko on. Maybe we'll figure something out under construction. We'll see how we're doing. We'll see what's going on. I know that the boys are much more motivated now that we, you know, we got the GoFundMe to make the podcast better. So we might be able to knock in a one or two. If not, I'm here for you. I will keep doing this Snipe Talk single track. All right, so this is listener beefs. The first listener beef comes from Dave Irving underscore Evader Knives. I'll tell you something that drives me crazy. 
The guys that give me shit for doing stock removal. I make knives and I love what I do. What do they even care? This happens a lot. And if you listen to, if you go watch, uh, if you go watch, this is a good video to watch. If you go watch uh, Simple Little Life, Jeremy from Simple Little Life, he did a video where somebody, where somebody he started giving him shit about uh, doing stock removal knives and he was crying and he was a real actor. He had the black and white and he was acting and he said, I, I don't know if I make knives. Don't worry about it. This is this this is a nonsense. If you anybody who comments to you, you only do stock removal knives. They're, they're, don't worry about it. It's annoying. If you make stock removal, I, I learned how to forge first, and the, my first knives were all forged knives. And then I realized some of my customers want something that looks a little bit more like it was made from you know what they're used to, like you see in the stores. So if I do stock removal. I'm cutting away a lot of process that I don't either I can't do or I don't want to do, or I'm getting to the point where I can do these stock removal knives. I can pass along the savings to my customers and everybody wins. Don't worry about the don't worry, Dave. It's annoying. It is annoying. All right, next one comes from Swift Knives UK. My beef is having to do friends and family discount for your in-laws when you know they don't even deserve one of your knives because they use glass chopping boards. What about me? My, my families. What about me? What about me? Actually, one side of my family is super generous. They send me, they, they buy gift certificates and then they give them away. I know other people who in my family who are like, what about me? What about me? I don't, you, you never gave me a knife. What about me? Stop it with the friends and family. These people are crazy. I, I hate I hate it when people you know offer up. Sometimes if I know someone like I'm doing something for a college uh, a college uh, student that I went to school with, college alumni that we, we knew each other, I threw in a little something. You know, I threw in a watercolor. I threw in this. They didn't they didn't ask for friends and family. If somebody asks for friends and family, they're not your friend. They're not being understanding to you. I would never I would never say to someone, Hey man. Can you give me, I pay. When somebody offers me something, I pay. I like to pay because I appreciate the hard work that they do and they should appreciate the hard work that they, you do. They're thinking about themselves, but ultimately what they, what they're, what, if you look past all this bullshit, they want what you're doing and there's a value to that. All right. Next one comes from Paulus Jankukias. I don't think I got that right, Paulus, but I, Paulus, I'm sorry. Uh, I have a huge beef with knife makers on Instagram slash YouTube taking shit comments too seriously uh, that are bashing them as makers in a moronic and idiotic way that sometimes make no sense. Being so butthurt that you have to respond, that is weak. Just grow a pair. You do it for the process, not for the comments. Yeah. It's hard, though. It's hard. When somebody says something shitty to you, you focus on it. Because you're, you're, you know, for me, I, you, I get compliments and I, I'm not good at taking compliments anyway. But someone says something shitty to me, I, I fucking seethe. I fucking seethe. So it's easier said than done. Some of us are, some of us are sensitive. We're needy. We're needy and sensitive. We can't handle it. We can't handle it. All right. But you're right. We should be able to get a thicker skin, but some of us are fucking weak. I'm fucking weak. I'm weak. I'm a weak man, Paulus. 
All right, next one comes from Garmin Made. I ran into a guy that I haven't seen for a while, and he said, hey, I want to buy one of your knives. How much? 100? 150? Who the fuck asks a question like that and gives you that answer? There's the beef. <sighs> people, are, people don't know. You don't understand. There's so many people out there who don't know what we go through. They have no idea. And you just have to grin and bear it. They're trying to be nice. They want something for you, and at least they're telling you what they can spend. I've had people, I've been on, I've been on, uh, you know, somebody goes to the website, they've scheduled a, con uh, a consultation with me, Tony gets me all squared away to speak to someone, I speak to them, and we talk 15 minutes, da 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 and then they say, oh, but I don't want to waste your time, I only have, I only have, uh... I only have $150 to spend. Well, you've wasted my time. At least, at least they're not wasting your time. At least they're telling you what they want. At least they're telling you, this is all I have to spend. And they're not wasting too much of your time. I've been down the road where they waste too much of my time. All right. Next one comes from Jonathan Wessel. My beef is when people uh, title themselves a blacksmith after taking a class or two, but still can't make a damn thing on their own. Look, people like to do this stuff. They want to, they want to, they, it's, it's, it feels good to say you're do whatever. There's all, there's levels to this game, as somebody said. And people, people want to be able to say what they do. I do, I do have the frustration of, I have met a couple people who introduce themselves and blacksmith. I'm, I teach classes and blacksmith, blacksmith. I go to their website and they've done nothing. It is frustrating, but this is a big world and people just, you know, they need to do something. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. It's frustrating, but there are levels. There are levels to this, all this. And people just, they need to know. They need to know that they do something. All right, Jonathan, you're right. It is annoying. The last one comes from Summit and C. Smithing. My beef, when someone posts an auction for wood on Instagram, with no end date or rules. Then, after you bid, they jump into your DMs to ask, if you bid X amount of dollars, it's yours. Same guy got me twice. Nah, fam. I'm good. Nah, fam. Nah, fam. It's annoying. There's, there's, there's definitely... There are people out there who... Are, there are people out there who are, who are not nice. And they do these things that it's just it's very frustrating. So I understand. But with that said, I'm going to jump into something that that this this the the blocks um is a good this book block question is a good uh, transition into something that happened to me this week. I actually was doing a knife for a customer, and it I showed them the block. I buy I go down the uh, knife show in Atlanta every year. I buy wood. I buy scales. And I buy wood. I like to buy what Jeremy Spake refers to as fruity wood. That means it's double dyed. You know, they stabilize the wood with some dye. And then they, well, they stabilize it maybe with a couple of different dyes, different times. They'll do one pass with blue, one pass with yellow. Then all of a sudden, the dye gets sucked up on a capillary level. I'm saying capillary. I'm saying capillary. And then you get this crazy color. It's great. So why buy dye? I buy dye wood all the time. I love it. I actually shout out to Rob's Wildwood. If you want great scales, go to Rob's Wildwood. He has amazing scales and amazing wood. Actually, all the wood I've ever gotten from Rob's Wildwood 
has always been top of the line. Top of the line. I love spending money with him. And he's great. They're great. They make great scales. So when you're buying scaled dyed wood, this is for dyed stabilized wood. Blocks and scales can be different. If you've double dyed your scales and you look at the scales, if they're like quarter inch thick, whatever, you can see how much color there has gone through the scales because it's thin. But with a block, sometimes you don't know how deep the penetration of the color is. So I had this one. It was a two-tone, a two-color dyed block of burl. One color was yellow and one color was red. And I realized that they did the yellow dye first. They stabilized it with the yellow dye, put it through the chamber, yellow dye, put it in the oven, set the, set the uh, resin, then cleaned it off, stuck it back in with a different dye, red dye the second time, same thing, do the pump, bump, 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 pump. Then they did it, let it soak, stuck it in the oven, boom, set the thing, sand it off. Look at this. I got a little bit of red. I got a little bit of yellow. Bada bing, bada boom. Let's sell this motherfucker for 40 bucks. The problem with this block was when I started, I had to use it for a knife. And it wasn't for a wah style handle. It was for scaled handles. It wasn't for a hidden tang knife. It was for a full tang knife. I cut it in two. I cut it in two to make a pair of scales. And then I stuck it together with a little bit of crazy glue. I did the bolster. I rough cut it out. I'm grinding, grinding, grinding the bolster, blah, blah, blah. And I'm starting to notice. This is, I'm thinking that this is, I've sold this as a red-handled knife. This is a red-handled knife that looks a little flamey with a red, a little bit orange, a little bit yellow. It's supposed to be flamey. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the sawdust. And the sawdust is yellow. All the sawdust is yellow. It's not orange. It's fucking yellow. And luckily for me, I just, I, I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over it. It wasn't like I couldn't get over it. I noticed it. And then I, it's, oh, that's weird. This is a red handled knife. So then when I looked into it more, it looked as if only the, the outer ring of the, the outer ring of the wood went red. Everything else was yellow. So I knew that when I finished grinding it after I put the handle on, it wouldn't have been a red knife. It would have been a yellow knife. It didn't get the penetration. So be very wary, not wary, but understand that a bigger block of double dyed wood, sometimes the second color might not penetrate as well as the first color. So just be aware, you, you know, with scales, you can tell because you can see both sides. If the color's on the top and the bottom of a scaled piece of wood, you're going to have that color. But if you have a block that you can't see into, it's a thick ass block and you know that it's dyed twice, have in your mind, no that you don't know what it looks like on the inside until you carve into it. All right, so there you go. So just be careful about when you're doing the, uh, just be careful. There you go. That's, that's into, you know what you should do. Now we're going to get into, you know what you should do. These are viewer, these are viewer tips. You know what you should do. And I'll just tell you, you know what you should do. You should get yourself into some Rhinoet from Indasa USA. Sandpaper is not the same. I just went to the hardware store in a pinch, listening in DOS USA. I was in a pinch, and I had to run in, and I had to get some sandpaper. I went to this guy. I go to the local hardware store. 
And I said to the guy, is this, and I grabbed a box of sandpaper. I said, is this sandpaper good for metal? And he said, sure, it's good for metal. It's good for everything. And I got it back to the shop and it was fucking terrible. And the reason why it's fucking terrible is because it wasn't RhinoWet. RhinoWet is made for, originally made for, um, uh, auto body guys. So guys who are doing, working, they're sanding a lot of metal. It, it's, it's got incredible, it's incredible paper. It holds real tight. Uh, it cuts really well. I love RhinoWet. Now, what I would suggest is, if you just say, eh, what's the big deal, RhinoWet? Get a pack of 220. 220. Just get a pack of 220 and try it out and tell me what you think. Try, if you're a knife maker, don't get Rhino Dry. Rhino Dry isn't really for steel. It works. I have some. It works. But Rhino Wet is better. It's just better for knife making. The application of Rhino Wet is for knife making. Go get yourself some 220 Rhino Wet. And you know where you can get that 220 Rhino Wet? Texas Farrier Supply. I know some of you have said that Texas Farrier Supply, something was wrong with our promo code of Knife Talk 10 for 10% off. Well, we've taken care of that. It's back. So if you go to Texas Farrier Supply and you, you order all sorts of stuff, they're not just Rhino Wet. They have uh, Farrier Supply. They have blacksmithing supply stuff. They have a pile of good stuff that will help you with knife making or blacksmithing. I bought a pair. I bought some hot punches from them. Put in Knife Talk 10 and you get 10% off. So go get yourself some Rhino Wet. You know what you should do? You should go to Texas Ferry Supply, punch in Knife Talk 10, get your 10% off, get yourself some Rhino Wet. Andasi USA. Thank you very much. All right. Your tips. We're going to go, we're rounding third. We're rounding third on this podcast. We're now we're in, we're rounding third. No edits, Craig. You got it? No edits. All right. The first one comes from, and I'm going to fuck your name up. Sorry. Rano Paju. Sorry, man. I am sorry. Or woman. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know if I'm late for this. Here's a tip. When sharpening a knife, which is just finished, sometimes you get oxidized fingerprints on the blade. Use toothpaste and a cotton pad to get rid of that shit. Ah, there you go. Use a little toothpaste, scrub your teeth, and then scrub your knife. All right. Toothpaste to get rid of the fingerprints. That's a good one. The next one comes from Stillwater Forge. You know what you should do? You should put acetone in your dried out permanent markers. There's a lot of ink left, a lot of ink left in that cartridge. Uh, it's just dried out. So I, I asked further, and he says if you got a sharpie, you pull that fucking tip out. You use a little squeezy poo of uh, acetone, and you can get a little bit more life in your 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 sharpie. I think I don't know about sharpie permanent mark. He's a permanent marker. All right. The next one comes from 520 Styles. Here's a tip. If you're too, if you're too cheap to buy RhinoWet, put some duct tape or masking tape on the back and you can create, you can use, it'll prevent your sandpaper from ripping. That is a good tip that I heard from uh, Nick Wheeler. Nick Wheeler, if you're not watching Nick Wheeler videos, don't, you shouldn't even be asking us about stuff. If you're going to, if you're going to watch YouTube videos, watch New, you, uh, Nick Wheeler YouTube videos. He got a sheet of uh, paper, a uh, Rhinoet, because if you needed a strip, you need a thin strip, I think he was working a bolster or something like that. He put duct tape along the back of the, of the, the sandpaper, the Rhinoet. And what he did was he created a, ha a backer that made it much tougher so he could cut strips. I've done that, uh, and it's great. Sometimes you get a little bit too aggressive. You and your fingers, 
your hands, you get to, especially when you're hand sanding candles, you guys get a little bit too, you know, you get a little bit too much, too much ass kicking going on. You got too much, you're fired up. Your old hands are all fired up and you you want to go a little full blast. Put a little duct tape behind it and then you can cut it with the duct tape on. And then now you have stronger strips that you're not going to, you know, go hog wild and get a little bit too aggressive. You know what I'm saying? All right. Good one. 540 styles. Now we're getting into, we're getting into, I made some calls. I made some calls. We're going to get some tips from the modern Forge Boys. I got some special tips. I knew that I was going to be doing this alone. I was worried that I wouldn't have enough material. So I put in the, I called out my boys. I called the Modern Forge boys to give me some tips. This one comes from DK Forge Works. That's Dave Cordilla. That's Damascus Dave. He actually gave me a good one. I thought he was going to give me some bullshit. I thought he was going to give me some pineapple pizza bullshit. He's the one who started with this motherfucking pineapple pizza nonsense. Everyone seems to give me fritz about all the time. He gave a good tip. Here's a tip. If you're, uh, that's funny. I almost read the wrong one. This <clears throat> Pardon me. This one would be especially good for knife makers with winter coming. Preheat your anvil with a large hunk of steel so it's not rubbing your heat. So what he does, and I've done this too, in the cold, your, your anvil's, whatever the temperature out in the air is, your anvil's going to be the same thing. So if you're forging on a cold anvil, the cold anvil will suck the heat out of your, your, your whatever you're forging. Especially with a thin knife. If you have, a, if you're working with thin material, you're never gonna, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose your heat half as quickly as you would if the, if, if the anvil was warm. So what he does, he takes a block of steel, a big block of steel, or whatever, he puts it in the forge, and then he lays it on top of the anvil. So the anvil will heat sink that hot steel, and then he's warming up the face of your anvil, and you'll have a little bit more. Working time with that hot piece of steel. Good one, Dave. Thank you very much. All right. Next one comes from the Blacksmith's Pub Zone. Jesse Savage Blacksmith. This is for you serious dudes. This is a serious thing to say. He says, for people starting out, when dealing with building and zoning, etc., when I started uh, and registered my forging business, I found the list nothing that really classified what I do. They wanted to peg me as welding and manufacturing, but that would restrict me to where I live and where my shop is. So I classified my business as an artistic studio. That means I could do anything there, forging, welding, woodworking, even painting or drawing. I'm not manufacturing anything. I'm a craftsman uh, making stuff. And as an artist studio, it gives you a lot of freedom. That's a very good point. If you're in the zone, if you got to worry about zoning, Make sure that you, you know, so you're an artist. And it's the funny thing is, is I make the joke that we're not artists. In this case, in this particular case, as far as the bureaucracy of, of, your, of your state and government and your city is, you're fucking artist. But that's it. Don't tell me you're an artist. But for the sake of you working, go ahead. I salute this thing. I, it goes against my opinion. But I would rather you be an artist and work then not. So if this is what gets you to get your zoning right, then I support this. Otherwise, you're not an artist. All right. Speaking of the Blacksmith's Pub, this one comes from Rick Barter. Rick Barter says, "Um, my number one shop tip 
or life tip, get ready, here comes the Dolly Barter, would be the job is not finished until all the stuff is ready to go for the next time. So what Rick is telling you is you have to clean your shop. Just like uh, Skull and Spades 13, Brett, Brett McAfee says, your job isn't done until you've cleaned your shop. There you go. Put it all away. I just cleaned my shop up uh, before I wrapped up for Thanksgiving, and I'm very excited about starting back in again. Everything is where it needs to be. Nice job, Rick. Now, this one is something that I'm very excited about. This one comes from my homie, John Ariani, Sunset Forge. This is, this is the start of a new hashtag, okay? I'm, I'm just relaxing a second. Taking it in. This is the question. This is the way to really get you squared away. Okay? When forging alone, without the aid of power equipment or a striker, one must utilize different techniques to accomplish certain aspects of forming metal. Often, a third hand is necessary to hold the workpiece while a top tool is held and struck. One tried and true method is dick-tonging. That's right, you heard me right, everybody, dick-tonging. To begin, remove your work from the forge and approach the anvil. The tong clips are helpful, but not necessary. Also helpful is having the anvil mounted at the proper dick height. Grip the reins of your tongs securely between your upper thighs with the workpiece resting, resting flat upon the anvil. With your two free hands, position the top tool and strike as needed. Congratulations, you have now successfully dick-tonged it. Disclaimer, use technique at your own risk. Sunset Forge and hosts of Knife Talk Pad podcast are not responsible for any castration, sterilization, or unwanted circumcision. Proper safety attire, i.e. safety glasses, jacket, and drop, uh, safety glasses, sorry, John, I fucked that one up. Proper safety attire, i.e. safety glasses, gloves, and jock strap is strongly recommended. Dick-tonging it, ladies and gentlemen. Hashtag, hashtag dick-tong. Now, I have heard, I've never heard it be called dick-tong. I love the fact that we call it dick-tong. Now, I have heard when I was a student and I was learning under the great Uri Hoffi, 86, 83, 84, 86, he old. He would have us use incising tools in our piece of steel, either a punch or a cutter or, I mean, or a fuller or whatever, chisel. And when you're Doing that, how do you hold a hammer in one hand and the tool in the other? Who's holding the who's holding the steel? So he would say in a deep voice, he would say, Yeah, use the third hand. And you turn, what? The third hand? He goes, under your balls. Use your balls. So if your anvil is the height of your balls, you take the steel out, as John suggested with your tongs, you lay it flat on the on the anvil. And your balls, and then you lift up your balls, and then you hold your tongs under your balls, and then your if your anvil's at the right height and your piece is flat, 
you're not, if you're at an angle, what'll happen is, is if you're at an angle where the tongs are facing down and then you hit, you're going to Tom and Jerry it right in your fucking balls. But if you're flat, your, your legs are kind of holding it and it's not really going to do a lot of jumping. So dick tonging is the way to go. I am a hundred percent behind dick tonging. The third hand is over. I'm never going to call it the third hand again. I used to call it the third hand all the time because using your fucking dick and balls to hold the tongs is very, a very, uh, a normal way. If you don't have a striker, if you don't have a striker, who, what are you going to do with a bottle opener? You don't need to hold the, t- with the tongs. You can put the, you know, something small. You can put it on your, you can put it on the face of the an anvil and then just let it sit there and then do what you got to do. But if you're holding something like an integral knife or you're holding something that is, they can't, you, it's just too long. You can't dick tong. So hashtag dick tongs. And with that said, in, in honor of John and in honor of Uri Hoffi, I actually reached out to Uri. Mr. Hoffy, one of the great blacksmiths of our time and very important teacher. He means a lot to me. He just had his leg cut off and they gave him a new, um, uh, new prosthetic leg. He, all he wanted to do is get back in the shop. He's back in the shop. I have been, he's been sending me awful jokes for a long, long time. Bad ones. I mean, we're, we're talking hellfire jokes, bad jokes, but sometimes he sends really good ones. So I actually reached out to him and asked him if he had any good jokes for me. And he did. He sent me a joke for this podcast. So here's the joke from Uri Hoffi, the founder of the founder of the third hand, but we're passing the torch to Dick Tongs, John passing the torch to Dick Tongs. So this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, Uri Hoffi is an older Israeli man in his eighties. I'm going to read it the way he would sound. I love doing an Uri Hoffi impression. And he goes, okay. <clears throat> All right. A woman eats breakfast with her husband and says to herself, what a good for nothing I have at home. Then she went out for her day of work and met these very nice young men. And all day long, she said to herself, what garbage I have at home. And in the evening, she was having supper with her husband. And her husband asks her, dear, how was your day? And she said, the woman answers, all day long, I was thinking of you. Ain't going to get much better than that. That's a show. Knife Talk Single Track. We drew it and we made it happen, guys. Oh, my God. Can't believe it. So, with that said, thank you for listening. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to keep getting you some content, new content. Follow us on Instagram, Knife Talk Podcast. If you're a Facebook person, we have a new group page, Knife Talk Podcast. Go follow us there. Support our sponsors. I am thankful to you all. And I appreciate Craig and Mareko. We appreciate you, the listener. We couldn't do without you. I'm with you. They're with you. Have a wonderful holiday. I'll see you next week, or somebody will. And we'll get this fucker going, okay? Hashtag Dick Tongs. Thank you. 
save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.